I'll probably remind you uh, a few more weeks, but uh, the theme of the Gospel of John, John 20, verse 30, should be on the screen, John 20, verse 30, 31, there we go, 31. John wrote this at the end of the book of John, what we call the book of John, and he gave what it was his purpose in writing. He said, these are written, everything previous, so that you may believe. Everything that John was writing had an intentional purpose to foster belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is who he claimed to be. When uh, you buy a book, when I buy a book, a lot of times if I'm not familiar with the author, or I'm curious about what he's written about. Most books have something on the back or the jacket cover where they have endorsements. And there's times in which I may not be familiar with a particular author, but I'll look on the back, and if it has people that I respect that I'm familiar with, uh, then that kind of is an endorsement for that author that, uh, that I'm like, okay, well, I may, I may check that out. If that was their endorsement, then um, it's, probably, it's probably good to go. There's an endorsement uh, of the person that we're going to look at this morning, John the Baptist. And the endorsement is in Matthew 11, 11. In Matthew 11, 11, it says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Kind of goes back and says, those previous up to John the Baptist, John the Baptist is the greatest who's lived. But yet, as great as he is, he is the least to those who will come and follow and receive Christ afterwards. So it's looking in the past and looking in the future. And what's significant about that particular endorsement is the one who gave that endorsement. And Jesus Christ himself is the one who said that there is none greater than John the Baptist. And this morning we're going to look in, as we continue in our section-by-section, section, sometimes verse-by-verse verse study of the book of John that we began a few weeks back, the title of the message this morning is John the Baptist, a profile of greatness. Now again, Jesus is the one that referred to him as great. We're not, he didn't say that about himself, John the Baptist. And remember, John the Baptist is a different person than the author of what we're studying, the Gospel of John. This is the Apostle of John. The Apostle John was one of the twelve disciples. John the Baptist was not a disciple in the sense that he was not among the twelve that followed Jesus. But we see him introduced here in the beginning of John, the Gospel of John. And why, why, why bring him in? What is his significance? Uh, and we're going to unpack that this morning. And this morning as we look through this, and I hope that you use the Listener's guide that's uh, in your bulletin. That's a, just a tool for helping you to be more engaged with Scripture. Many of you don't know the Bible. You're unfamiliar with the Bible. You're unfamiliar with teachings of Jesus. That's why uh, I put this in here as a help. But if you don't use it, then it's of no use to you. So it is to help you as we, as we go along that's, uh, for you to follow and be more engaged uh, with what you're learning and retaining if you're interested in knowing what the Bible says. And I hope you are, and I believe that's why uh, you're here today. But this morning, I, as we unpack this profile of greatness, I want us to look at three aspects of John, John the Baptist, that we're talking about, and three simple things that we're going to see and why I believe Jesus uh, referred to him as great. And there, there are principles that if we desire greatness, you know, the world has a much different standard of what we call great. We say, oh, uh, Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, he was a great man, right? And Or we say about this person or that person that they're great because of maybe their wealth or their accomplishment or whatever it is. 
But I think, really, when Jesus says somebody's great, I think that kind of trumps everything, doesn't it? So we need to pay attention to that. There's three simple things that I think are significant in our, if we're wanting to say, what, what is the recipe of greatness? Then I think we can learn some things from John the Baptist. Number one that we want to look at is, first of all, John knew who he was. John the Baptist knew who he was. Verse 6 tells us there's three words that we'll look at. First one is in verse 6. It says there was a man sent from God. First of all, John the Baptist was a man that was sent. He was commissioned. You know, throughout history, there's been significant people in church history that have been sent uh, by God, and people flocked to them because of the truths that they were speaking. Uh, This month, at the end of October, traditionally is called Reformation Sunday, 500 And five years ago, in 1517, God raised up a Catholic monk teacher in the seminary and opened his eyes as he began to study the book of Romans. And he began to see through the lens of the Holy Spirit that salvation is a work of grace, that we are justified by faith in Christ alone, not by works. And this man was Martin Luther, and God used him to reinvigorate and the truth into the church and people flocked to him and what we call the Reformation was birthed at the insights and the way that God used him. In the 1700s in England, during a very dry, dark time in the church uh, in England in which uh, spirituality was uh, certainly at a low point, God raised up two brothers, John and Charles Wesley, and used them to return back to a a heart, a passionate love for Christ. In 1948, in Hollywood, there was a man who God was using, and he put up a a tent uh, in Southern California, and it sparked a global revival, and that man was Billy Graham. So God has always used people in church history that have been messengers and sent by God for the truth And God, certainly the granddaddy of them all, is John the Baptist. He was the first one to announce and point people to Jesus. And people came to him. But there's another word there in verse 7. Not only was he sent, but he was a witness. Verse 7. He, John the Baptist, came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He wasn't... The light, as you, as you read there, <clears throat> he was a reflector of the light. Uh, he reflected the light of Jesus. And then verse 23, there's a third word. It says in verse 23, Jesus, or, or John the Baptist said about himself, and we'll look at this dialogue a little bit, but he said, I am the voice, the voice. He was a voice. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Now, what's interesting is that John the Baptist is quoting an Old Testament passage. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. I always love to hear a British say Isaiah. They say Isaiah. You know, I always think you, you sound more godly if you have a British accent. But, uh, but Isaiah chapter 40, he's quoting because they understood, these Jews, they understood uh, the Old Testament. And so he's quoting the passage in Isaiah chapter 40, where in Isaiah, speaking futuratively, uh, prophetically, if you will, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John says, I am that voice. When people traveled around, they didn't have a highway system like we have it today. Later, the Romans, we know... uh, uh, began a, to develop a highway system that connected the Roman Empire. But in those days, there wasn't roads, and so many times uh, travelers just had to kind of travel through barren uh, ground or wildernesses or whatever. But when a, when a king entered into a region or a province, there were those that went ahead of the king and prepared the road cleared out the debris, cleared out the junk, made sure that the king who was traveling had a smooth 
uh, way of entrance. That's what John says. I am that voice crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. I'm preparing the entrance of the king. John knew that he was sent. He was only a witness. He was a voice. But also in verses 24 through 26, we learn something else about John. Probably the one thing that we probably know more about John than anything else, and that was that he was John the baptizer, okay? He was John the baptizer. He baptized outside of, uh, uh, if you came out of Galilee, there was a region there where there was uh, the water, and John was baptizing in the Jordan, and he was baptizing and calling people to repentance. And it's important to understand when you talk about baptism, there's, there's different kinds of baptisms that are oftentimes referred to in Scripture that are different than what we call believer's baptism, the baptism of believers in the New Testament. This was a baptism of water that was representative, listen, and it was a baptism of repentance. It was a sign of preparation. It wasn't a baptism that later on Paul would connect to identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It was different, but it was, it was, a, it was something the Jews in this time were familiar with because they had, a, they had different washings or baptisms. In fact, if you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, uh, and you became a convert to Judaism, you would go through a washing that would be a baptism uh, that would be washing away the old self in order to be initiated as a, into the Jewish community. So John is using this baptism, if you will, and he's baptizing people, and it's a cleansing of preparation to repent because the king is coming. Prepare to meet the king, all right? So John knew who he was. He was sent, he was a witness, and he was a voice. But notice, secondly, is that John knew who he wasn't. Sometimes that's more important, right? To know who you aren't. And, uh, uh, and I think here we, get a, we begin to get a little glimpse of the greatness, if you will. Jesus called him great in verses 19 through 22. And this is a dialogue. There was a, uh, he's out there baptizing. People are coming out there, flocking out there to listen to this, this, this radical preacher uh, out there baptizing, talking about the prepare the way for the king to repent of their sins. Repent means to turn around, to make a change. And so the religious folks began to hear about this man out there and wanted to find out what's going on. Uh, why are people going out there? What is the big deal? And so they sent a little delegation out there to kind of do a little interview and check him out, right? So that's what we have in verses 19 through 22 in your Bibles. It says, and this is the testimony of John, that when the Jews sent priests and Levites for, from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Like, who are you? Uh, verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Your version uh, might say, I'm not the Messiah. Christ is just the Greek equivalent of Messiah in the Hebrew. I am not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. And then they asked in verse 21, what then? Are you Elijah? And we'll talk about that. He said, I am not. And then they said, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Verse 22. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. And what do you say about yourself? I mean, they were kind of perplexed. Now look at these three questions they asked him. First of all, they asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Uh, they, in this period of time, there was great anticipation uh, that this was, the, this was the time that there would be a Messiah, there would be this one who would come and deliver God's people. So there was a lot of people in the first century, even before that, uh, that were going around claiming to be a Messiah, claiming to be one sent from God. And so they just thought, is this another one of those? And he says, no, I am not the Messiah. And then they said, are you Elijah? Now that may seem kind of strange why they would ask that, but it actually has a very important biblical connection here that, you know, we, we study the last book of the New Testament. We're fascinated with Revelation. Well, the Jews had a last book too, and their last book of the Old Testament was 
Malachi. And in the book of Malachi, there in verse 5, speaking again prophetically about the Messiah who was to come, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, in speaking about the coming of Messiah, it says that, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So that's why they asked, Are you Elijah? Because they thought if they had it in their, their radar, if you will, that the, there'd be one who would come, an Elijah that would come to prepare the way of the Lord. They were remembering that prophet Elijah, and John the Baptist says, no, I'm not. Now, that's interesting that he says, I am not, because this is where your cross-references in your Bible, some of you don't know what all those little numbers and those references mean, you never use them. Well, use them when you see footnotes or whatever, because that connects you to other passages. You know, what I found is the Bible is its own best commentary. It helps you understand and explain other passages. So, again, John says, I am not John the Baptist. But in Matthew 17, verse 12 through 13, the Scripture says, uh, Jesus says, but I tell you that Elijah has already come. What? And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they please. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of who? John the Baptist. Now, wait a minute. You got John over here, the Baptist, saying, I'm not. And Jesus saying, yes, you are. Well, he didn't say it to him, but he says, yes, you know, you are. But I think, again, that just speaks to uh, Elijah's own sense of humility, that he wasn't making any claims about himself. Now, understand what the Scripture, the Old Testament Scripture is saying and we'll see a verse that clears this up. It is not saying that Elijah is going to be reincarnated. The Bible doesn't teach that, all right? But it helps us and gives us some clarity when we go back to the Gospel of Luke and see some things written around John the Baptist's birth. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 13, just context. You remember in the story, the, the Christmas story in preparation for Jesus' birth? Now, this is speaking about uh, uh, John the Baptist, or John, his cousin, his earthly cousin. But the angel said to him, to the parents of, of John the Baptist, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, that's daddy, to John the Baptist, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth, that's John the Baptist's mama, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. All right, That's announcing and talking about birth of who we refer to as John the Baptist. Skip down to verse 17. Now notice what it says. Talking about this Elijah. And then the word of the Lord through this angel says, And he will go before him. Who is the him? The Messiah that has been announced. He will go before him, prepare the way of the Lord. Remember what Elijah said, or John said about himself. But he will go before him in the what? Spirit and power of Elijah. So he is one who is coming in the likeness of an Elijah, just like Elijah was a powerful uh, prophet, that this John would come in the power and spirit of Elijah to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So, so we see that Jesus identifies him as the fulfillment of that promise. But they asked him a third question back in this dialogue in John chapter 1. They said, okay, you're not the Messiah. You're not Elijah. Are you the prophet? Look at verse uh, 21. It says, are you the prophet? Now notice what it's saying here. This is where you've got to pay attention. They didn't say, are you a prophet? They said, are you the prophet? What are they talking about? Well, again, I bet you have a little, little uh, footnote or endnote or something. It gives you a cross-reference back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15. Moses is talking here, and Moses is saying prophetically that there would be one who would come in uh, Deuteronomy 18, 15. It says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. So Moses, in Deuteronomy 18, 15, connects 
and says, he will raise up to you a prophet, a prophet that will be like me. He won't be just anybody, but he will be the prophet. That's what they want to know. Are you the prophet? And he says again, no. Now again, this shows his humility. Think about what John the Baptist could have said. I mean, who are these guys coming out? Remember, his daddy, Zechariah, was a priest. John the Baptist had some some, uh, uh, ministry lineage himself. He could have said, hey, do you know my ancestors? Do you know Zacharias? He was my dad. He was a priest. I have an ancestry just like you guys do. And you're coming to question me? Uh, He said, look... I was filled with the Holy Spirit in my mother's womb. That's what the gospel says. How about you? He could have said, look at all these people that are coming to hear me speak. Where's your crowd, guys? He could have said all of that. But see, John, it was never about him. Never about him. He knew who he wasn't. But there's a third aspect that we want to see. Not only did he know who he was, who he wasn't, but this may be the most important, number three, is that John knew who Jesus was. And that's the most important thing about you. Do you know who Jesus is? I don't mean about Jesus, but do you really know who Jesus is? Now, what I find so fascinating, and I guess I didn't really appreciate it until I was studying about John the Baptist this week, was the depth of John's understanding about Jesus. There are things that John understands, John the Baptist understands about Jesus that the disciples didn't even grasp. Some of them later on. There are aspects of the life of Jesus that it wasn't until later the Apostle Paul, by revelation of God, had an understanding. So, Sometimes we don't really stop and uh, appreciate the depth of what John understood about who Jesus is. And I want you to note with me, and we'll go through these fairly quickly in the time we have, seven things that John knew about Jesus Christ. This is a number under uh, the point number three there. There's uh, seven places to write, this, write these in in verse 26. Number one is that John knew his presence. Verse 26, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. The word, it's interesting, the phrase rather, among you stands, is written in what's called a present continuous sense. You could say it right now, he's saying, right here, Right now, in this very place, there is one that is present here right now that you don't even recognize. That's what he's saying. He knew the presence of Christ. The New Living Translation, I think, helps us a little bit here. Different translation. It says, John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. That kind of gives us a little more of what the, the language is trying to communicate here. But right here in the crowd, right here, right now, John understood that the presence of Christ is present. The presence is present, all right? Next, John understood the greatness of who Jesus is. Verse 27, he said, even he, Jesus who comes after me, the strap whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. There was a little phrase in, uh, that rabbis had in referring to really a disciple. That term disciple wasn't unique to the followers of Jesus. It, it, disciple just means follower. In the New Testament, sometimes it means specifically the 12 disciples. And then you read over in John 6, it talks about how there were many disciples that no longer followed Jesus. They were just kind of followers and kind of a they were fans okay they were fans but so sometimes disciples used in different ways but it wasn't unique it just meant 
uh, that rabbis back before Jesus, back in the day, a, a follower of a rabbi, he would be called one of those rabbi's disciples, one of his followers. And there was a little saying that John is using here where he says that he who comes after me, speaking about someone else, the strap whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie, that is kind of a little uh, phrase that, that, that a rabbi would say that a disciple should, should be willing as a true follower of the rabbi that if they're in a learning position, a disciple to a rabbi should be willing to do whatever the rabbi asks, even down to the most menial tasks, except untie his sandals. Why? Because that was considered the lowest of the low. That's why it's so significant when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Do you remember Peter, what his reaction was? No way, man. You're not, I don't know if he said man, but no way. The message translation has that, I think. No way. And Jesus said, if you don't allow me to serve you, you have no part. And then Peter just jumped into the other extreme. Well, just wash me my head, pour it over my whole body, you know? I mean, Peter just, he's, I love the guy. But do you hear what he's saying? John says, I am not worthy to do the task of a slave. He understood the greatness of Jesus. I'm not worthy to loose the, the tie of his sandal. But in verse 31, there's something else that I want to note here of what John understood of his greatness. Verse 31 says... I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now that word know that I have highlighted on the screen, there's two different ways that uh, the word know, two different words that are used for the word know in the um, Greek language. One is just kind of the way we use it. Do you know, uh, do you know Wendell over there? Maybe you don't know Wendell, but I know Wendell. Do you know uh, Connie? You know, you relationship. You know, you know each other. You're familiar. But then there's the word, there's another way, that, another word, and that's what is used here when he says, I myself did not know him. This word for know, which doesn't give you the full impact of the Greek language, it refers to the process of figuring something out. What he's saying is, I hadn't previously figured it out yet. I myself hadn't figured it out yet, as though now I get who he is. I like the fact that John there, something we just slide by. Now remember, John grew up with Jesus. They were on an earthly side, human side. Jesus was divine, but Jesus, in an in a, in a earthly sense, he was born to Joseph and Mary, uh, and Elizabeth and Mary were, uh, were cousins, uh, that, they, that they related to each other. They probably grew up. They were familiar with each other. It wasn't like he didn't know him. Probably was very familiar with who Jesus was. But there came a point in time that he went from just knowing Jesus in kind of a familiar way where he said, there was a process that I came to know who this Jesus is. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a reminder for us to be patient with people who are in process of discovering, learning, Seeking Jesus, isn't it? If John, who knew a lot about the physical person, had to come to his own place of arrival, how much more should we be patient with those that are growing, learning, 
They still see, you know, in the like, you know, men walking as trees. They don't have the full vision yet. John says, I came to that understanding. But there's a third thing that John understood is that John understood the purpose of Jesus. I love this. John understood the purpose of Jesus. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now there's two immediate things that you would understand by that phrase, Lamb of God. That under the Old Testament economy, that when people uh, came to the temple, they brought a sacrifice. They, brought, uh, they were to bring a lamb. The poor could bring a, a, a bird or, or some other sacrifice. But there was the animal that was slain that was sacrificed, often a lamb, Sometimes the lamb raised in the household that was brought to the temple annually. And they were told that uh, even though they didn't quite have the understanding that we have in the New Testament, the sacrificial system was never able to do what this lamb could do, and that was take away sin. All the Old Testament picture could do was to cover sin. You ever make a big mess on the floor and your wife is on her way home and you just pull the rug a little further over on top of the stain and like, I'll deal with it later, right? You just, you haven't dealt with the stain. You've just done what? You've just covered it, right? You've just covered the sin. Well, Jesus in this picture of the lamb was not coming to cover sin. He was coming to take away Hebrews said that what the blood of bulls and goats and lambs could never accomplish, Jesus did one time in his death on the cross. There's another aspect, fourthly, is that John understood Jesus' nature, his nature. Verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now, we don't find it here, but if we go to Luke, which you can do on your own, you'll find out, and studies help us, that John the Baptist was born six months ahead of Jesus. And yet he says he outranks me. He's above me. He's not talking about chronological age. He's referring to this divinity of Jesus. That wouldn't be a word he would use. It's a word we we use. He was what God had revealed to him, and he understood that there was an eternality about Jesus Christ. He ranks before me because he was Before me, what did the author of John, the Apostle John, remember how he started what we looked at last week in the beginning was the Word? See? All the other Gospels tie Jesus' ancestry and uh, the birth record to his lineage, connecting him with the uh, ancestry as an Israelite. John goes goes beyond that. He, he 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 begins in the beginning with Jesus, to establish the nature or character of Jesus. Fifth, John understood Jesus' calling, his calling, his uniqueness, his calling. Verse 32, and John bore witness and said, John the Baptist says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven Like a dove, I saw the Holy Spirit, visible, tangible, descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. John says he actually saw, and we we know this, if you look in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John John the Apostle doesn't include it here, but we have a record of Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. That's what he's referring to, that in that account... 
that when Jesus was baptized, remember John's reaction was, you should be baptizing me. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he understood that. Remember, Jesus wasn't baptized because for his sins, he didn't have any sin. That was not what, but he came as one of the great titles that Jesus really prefers to be called was the Son of Man. Jesus identified, even though he was without sin, he came to identify with sinners, you and me, to redeem us, to take away our sins. So when Jesus came to John the Baptist, and you can read about this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he wasn't coming because he needed cleansing. He was coming as a point of identification with those that he came to rescue. You with me? Two of you are. Good. All right. We're on a roll. All right. But he says that at that event, when you read in the Gospels, that John the Baptist says he saw the Spirit, and it also says he heard a voice from heaven speaking, saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. John says, I saw that. I saw that, and I believe that that was when John recognized who cousin Jesus really was. John had baptized a lot of folks that day, that week. This is the first one that he saw the Holy Spirit. Now, don't the Holy Spirit's not a bird. Now you laugh, but we got this, you know, little bird. You know, it's not a bird. It says, like a dove. What is a dove? A dove is a picture of gentleness. Okay, the Holy Spirit's not a bird with feathers, all right? Just thought I'd throw that out. I know some of you are wrestling with that theological dilemma there. But he saw the, the Spirit of the Lord. And it's interesting, when you read through the book of Acts, anytime the Holy Spirit descended, there was always a visible manifestation of the Spirit. That's a freebie. We'll look at that some other time. But the Holy Spirit, there's always a visible manifestation. Six, John understood his power. Connects with this, verse 33. We read this earlier. I myself did not know him, but he sent me to baptize with water, said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he. This is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John was baptizing with water, but this one that was to come was going to baptize. The word baptize just means to immerse. He's going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. Now we understand that the power that Jesus had is the same power that he told those disciples in Acts chapter 1 to go and wait because when the Holy Spirit comes, you will have the dunamis, the Greek word for dynamite. You will have the power to do what Jesus has commissioned you to do, and that's to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You can't do that on your own. You and I can't live this Christian life on our own. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, we see that which was selective previously. We see now the fulfillment of what Acts 2 says because Peter says, what you see, this descending of the Spirit, people speaking in languages, this tremendous miracle that is very visible of the sound of a mighty rushing wind, is a fulfillment of the prophet Joel and says, this is what he was talking about. We are seeing its fulfillment. So now, the Spirit of Jesus is now poured out among His church. And that's the same power that we walk in today and that we live in today. And the seventh is that John understood Jesus' deity. And I use the word deity that just means possessing godhood. That's his godness, if you will, when we talk about deity. The deity of Christ. That means he's God. Verse 34 John the Baptist says, and I have seen and have borne witness. Remember, he's a voice, a witness, sent. I've borne witness that this is the Son of God. When you talk about the Son of 
somebody, you're saying that that person um, has characteristics of their, their father, the son of. He's the son of God. He is, that's identifying his deity as God. Isn't it amazing how much John... I mean, we haven't gotten to Paul. We haven't gotten to some of the nuances that Jesus taught his disciples about... I mean, when he talked about going to and being crucified and being killed, I mean, remember, they were like, no way. But yet, John the Baptist had a tremendous understanding of who Jesus is. And yet, what is so remarkable, remember, the theme or the title of this message is the greatness of John the Baptist. And that this humility just, just permeates this man. And should permeate our life because everything about him wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. There's the last part. I'm going to go through this. Still have five minutes according to my little clock here. And that's in that box area. I had a little note, a little sticky note, if time. And I got time to do this. So, so I'm going to do it. All right. Now I included in John 3, I included this. Even though it's in John 3, we'll, we'll be a while before we get to John 3. But it just kind of fit here. And so I just want to kind of make some notes here uh, and, uh, and note some things uh, of what happened here. And I think, again, it fits with what we just talked about. In John chapter 3, beginning at verse 22, we see, if you will, this humility is put to test. You know, a lot of us can talk about being humble, right? What was that old Mac Davis saying uh, about it's hard to be humble? Now that, that dates some of us, sorry. That really dates some of us, my goodness. Um, you know, humility is one of those attributes or virtues that if you arrive at it, you haven't got it. Think about that. Sherry, think about that a little bit. Right? If you arrive at it, you ain't got it, right? It's just... It's, but notice here in John 3, remember what uh, it says after this, what's gone ahead of that? That's that dialogue with Nicodemus. After this, and we'll get to that later, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. Now Jesus and his disciples are doing the baptizing. John also... At a different location in Anon near Salim, he was baptizing. Why? Because water was plentiful there. Why? Because when you baptize, you're immersed. You're not sprinkled. You don't need a lot of water if you believe if that's how it no. Baptism is it means immersion. You need lots of water. So there was lots of water. It was plentiful there. And notice this. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion. The ESV, that's a really nice way of saying there was an argument. Now an argument arose between... Now see, this should... If you think people in church don't have arguments, look, you know, I mean, it's just human, right? An argument arose between who? some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. They were arguing about the nature of this baptism. And they, that's John's disciples, John the Baptist's team, if you will, his disciples came to him, came to John the Baptist, and said to him, notice they call him rabbi, teacher, that's all it means, teacher, he who was with you across the Jordan, he's talking about Jesus, to whom you bore witness, talking about Jesus, look, he's baptizing, and everyone is going to him. Boss, you better do something about this. You're going to lose your ministry. You see what they're, I mean, they're like, Everybody's going to him. We had the crowds. And now what are they doing? They're going to see Jesus. And I love the way John responded when he heard that everyone 
is going to him. Look at verse 27. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John knew, and here's what you can write in there, John knew the security of God's sovereignty. John is like saying, when he's talking about God's sovereignty, he's saying, do you not think God knows what's going on? Do you not think God's not aware that this is what it's all about? John had the security of God's sovereignty, and, and, it's, and what we'll see, it's like, look, my season, I had a very specific role. Remember what his role was? He was a witness. He was a voice. He was sent with a, with a purpose to prepare the way of the Lord. And guess what? The king has arrived. He's come. So, it's all good. They should be going to him. That, guys, thinking about his little disciple group there, that's what the whole point of all this is about. It's about Jesus. It's not me holding on to my little turf. He had the security of God's sovereignty that God's in control of this thing, that God's holding the wheel of life. The second thing he answered to them, he says, I am not the Christ. He said that uh, previously, what he's saying, he saw John accepted his humanity. John accepted his humanity when he said, I am not the Christ. It's like he's reminding them, look, I am not God. I'm not in charge of this thing. You ever tried to be God? Well, not maybe the God, but you ever tried to, you know, when you take things and you get upset when things aren't in control, right? Every time you worry, basically that's taking things away from what God should be done. You're like, hey, I think I need to spend a little time worrying about this God. You ever got upset with God because it seemed like God let something go out of control, right? We need to be reminded that we are human. We are mere creatures. We do not know everything. We are totally submitted our lives into the hands of God. John the Baptist accepted, look, I'm just a voice. <laughs> I'm just a messenger. Third answer he gave, where he says, he said, I have the joy of the bridegroom's friend whose bride has come. John had the joy of serving Jesus. Now here's where we get this, verse 29 and I'm using the New International Version because I just think it brings it out a little clearer for us. He makes this connection in talking about a wedding. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. By the way, when we get to it in John 2, the very first miracle that Jesus gives of the seven in the book of John is at a what? At a wedding. So this picture of Jesus being... Um, the groom and the church and his body, the people being a bridegroom, that was a picture. That was just a picture that is woven throughout Scripture. So John says, making this connection, and says the bride, the body, the church, the people, they belong to the bridegroom. He's saying, look, these people aren't mine. They belong to the bridegroom. The friend, I'm the friend, he says, who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. You see what he's saying? I am nothing more than like a best man. I'm the friend. I'm not there to marry her. It's not my wedding. I'm excited when I hear the groom and the bride coming together. He said, that's my joy. My joy is seeing the success of the mission of Jesus. He said, and I'm joyful in that. And the last thing he says, something we're familiar with. He says in verse 30, the ESV he must increase, but I must, what, decrease. The New Living Translation I have there, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Do you see why Jesus said, John the Baptist, 
is a great man. The message, which is a paraphrase, sometimes brings something out every once in a while, and I thought it was interesting. This is just a paraphrase of that same verse. Listen to how, they, how he words it here. John says, this is the assigned moment for him, Jesus, to move into the center while I slip off to the sidelines. That I want to be and have people, when they look at my life, past or future, past, present, or future, I want them to be impressed with Christ. What do you want in this church? To be impressed with this, that, and the other, because we give you little cute outlines, we got good music, this, that, and the other. Don't be impressed with Grace Church. We're just collected sinners that figured out how to do it a little different and maybe a little better than some, but that's it. I want you to pray these two prayers this week. To have a great life like John, here's a challenge. Ask God this week for the wisdom to know who you are. Who are you? Sometimes people ask us, well, I work here, I married this person. No, who, who are you? Who are you? I'm a child of God. That's what the Bible says. My life is meant to be sent by God, to be a witness, to be a light, to be a voice. Pray and say, God, show me. That was a question they asked John the Baptist, said, who are you? And then ask God for the humility to, ho- to know who you are not. You and I aren't that big of a deal. We're not. Jesus is the big deal. And our lives and where we get off, where I fail, by God's grace, not in some great moral calamity, but you know where I fail the Lord? It's when people look at my life and I'm not reflecting Jesus. Because I got a lousy attitude in the checkout line because of the cash machine or the checker, something's messed up and I've got to stand there and wait 10 minutes. I got a lousy attitude with somebody working in my house. They're not going fast enough. They're going to charge me more. Now, am I supposed to just laugh and act like a fool? No, but I'm saying everywhere I walk, it isn't the big things. It's in all those little places that God calls us to reflect Jesus. Is the light on me or is the light on Jesus? Jesus called John great. Why? Because he reflected Jesus in his life. Let's pray.